Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly, a social injustice podcast. My name is Sandy and this is my co-host Stephanie. Hi everyone. So today's episode will be a little different. We are bringing you our top 10 list of must-watch social justice documentaries. Now, I promise you we aren't being lazy this week, (laughs) Um, but I have to go to Texas for a little bit, Um, so we knew we had to quickly make an episode that didn't take two weeks to research. Um, Once I come back from Texas, I do want to quarantine for a little bit before I come to Steph's house just to be safe. Of course, I'll be safe the whole time, but I will be at the airport, so not trying to put Steph and Tim and Herc (laughs) at risk. (laughs) Um, So this is going to be our little um, episode to be able to give us some time to do that. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's pretty common knowledge that those of us obsessed with true crime and social justice topics are obsessed with all the documentaries and shows that talk about it. Like a nice relaxing day for me would be a bunch of snacks on the couch watching true crime the entire day i on friday the lakers played well yeah whatever there's a lakers game Mm -hmm. and um tim gets very like passionate about the lakers so sometimes i just have to step away and like not hear him screaming at the tv and like standing in front of the tv so i was like you know what i've had a really long week at work um, I'm going to go upstairs while you watch this and have just like self-care Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I went upstairs and I was like, well, I have to do research, uh, not research, but like I have to like look at these documentaries mm-hmm. because a lot of them we've seen, you know, a while ago and yeah. it's just like a refresher. So I went upstairs, um, I did a mask, I did a Ooh. peel and I was just like, I showered, I was in my bathrobe and I was just like laying in bed watching like some sort of like crime documentary. Yeah. And Tim walked upstairs at one point. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just, I'm just chilling, vibing, watching this true crime doc. And he's like, you're so weird. Like, <laughs> why would you want to watch this in the dark yeah. at night before you're going to bed? And I was like, this is what I do. This is what self-care is. This is what I like. (laughs) This is how I fall asleep. Like, just let me be. Yeah. I feel like we're all pretty much in the same boat in that sense. All of us that are obsessed with true crime. It's like, if we have some time to ourselves, those documentaries, those shows are going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to point out that these are not our top 10 true crime documentaries, though. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a million of those, and I love them all. But Although we are considered to be in the true crime genre, uh, this podcast's main focus is on social injustices specifically, uh, which intersects with many other important topics such as racism and faults in the criminal justice system. So I feel like they're equally as entertaining, not entertaining, but um, I love watching them just as much as the regular true crime documentaries. Yeah, I mean... I lean heavy towards like a gory <laughs> crime. <laughs> like I really do. Like that's that's where it's at for me. Yeah. But these documentaries for me are more like obviously like they can be infuriating and they can oh, be yeah. very like eye opening, but they're also very inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll talk about that like when discussing some of the episode or some of the documentaries that like I quote unquote chose or mm-hmm. like picked for for today's episode but there are very many that like leave you wanting 
to do better, to be better, to like see better in the world and Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, try your best to fight for social justice. So I will say that as much as I find the true crime, like murder documentaries, (laughs) a lot more of like what I would tend to lean towards. These are also very like important. Yeah. You know, if not more important because the true crime ones are, they're very, like you said, like they're entertaining. Um, like they're gory. So I, if you tend to like that kind of stuff, like those will be what you like, but these teach you and they're educational and you learn from mistakes of the past, Mm -hmm. hopefully. So especially in times like that we're living in now, like these are actually very important to be watching. Yeah. They're very relevant in today's time. Even Mm -hmm. some that were made a long time ago ago. or -hmm. about stories that were taken place decades ago, Mm -hmm. it's relevant today. Yeah. So grab a pen and pencil or get your notes app on your phone and write these down because these are an absolute must watch if you're into social justice. Even if you're not into social justice, I think you should watch it anyway. Um, I feel like it would probably push you in that direction to care more about these issues. Or if you're someone who didn't know about these issues, like we Mm -hmm. said, 2020 has been eye-opening for a lot of people who didn't feel the need to be as involved or Mm -hmm. didn't aren't pushed to be involved because it's not affecting them in one way or another. So if you kind of fell into that category and are not realizing that you want to learn more, this is a really good place to start because it does. I mean, like you said, a lot of these kind of go back 40, 50, Mm -hmm. 60 years and kind of tell you why we are in the place that we are today. Yeah. So real quick, I want to throw in all the documentaries that we have already covered in some of our past episodes, um, just to kind of remind you that those have been talked about and you can visit those episodes, um, but make sure you watch those documentaries as well. So we have Time Simply Passes, the story of the James Joseph Richardson case. Yeah, so James Joseph Richardson was the African-American man who was convicted in 1968 for the murders of his seven children, which we now know was a wrongful conviction. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, are happy to say that he was um, freed. Freed, yeah. Um, but that was a pretty crazy story. So mm-hmm. that was a really good doc. That's a really good documentary if you want to just have a deeper look into the case and what we what we talked about. And then we have Southwest of Salem which was the San Antonio Four story. Mm -hmm. So it was the four women who happened to be lesbians Mm -hmm. um, who were accused of molesting one of the four women's nieces, (laughs) their two nieces. Um, So that one was also very interesting because it talks about the intersection of you know, race, but also sexuality because Mm -hmm. it was a conservative town in Texas and Mm -hmm. it was for... Hispanic lesbian women and during the satanic during panic. a crazy time which was satanic panic at the 80s so really crazy really interesting but also a really good look at what it meant like how it affected their lives mm-hmm. even after they were out mm-hmm. so that's a good look and um, then we have I am evidence and that one I covered during the untested rape kits episode um, that is a really good one to watch um, it's extremely frustrating it goes in depth of the national crisis of all the rape kits that aren't being tested or thrown away Mm -hmm. or just ignored altogether 
And we also have Unbelievable on Netflix. Mm -hmm. That one isn't a documentary. Um, It is like a mini series drama type thing, but it's based on a true story of Marie um, who was assaulted and the police did not believe her, ended up trying to charge her with false uh, reporting. Um, But then it turned out that she actually was assaulted and it was uh, connected to many other rapes as well. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. That it, went into um, my rape culture yeah. one. And it's not a documentary. So if you're not like super into documentaries and just into mm-hmm. like a good like show, this yeah. is a really good one. That's true. All right. So let's get into our top 10 lists of social injustice documentaries. First on our list is True Justice, Brian Stevenson's Fight for Equality. Brian Stevenson was the attorney who was portrayed in the movie Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan, also a really good movie that everyone should watch. Um, The documentary, though, discusses how in the last half century, America has become the nation with the highest rate of incarceration in the world, authorized the execution of hundreds of condemned prisoners, and continues to struggle to recover from a long history of racial injustice. Stevenson, founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, has advocated for over 30 years on behalf of the poor, the incarcerated, and the condemned, seeking to eradicate racial discrimination in the criminal justice system. So the documentary follows his struggle to create greater fairness in the system and shows how racial injustice emerged, evolved, and continues to threaten the country. I loved this one. I saw it the other day and I immediately texted Steph mm-hmm. and I was like, have you watched this one? Because this is amazing. Um, it's it's so interesting. And he goes into his own like personal life too. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. That was a really good, I think, obviously a lot of us know about the civil rights movement and yeah. what things were like, mm-hmm. but he paints a really good picture of what it actually was like to be a, a young child growing up mm-hmm. during that time through the story he says about being in, at the pool, in the pool. Um, that honestly kind of just broke my heart um, because we know about it but to actually like be put there yeah and like imagining that and just thinking of like what that would have felt like if you were a little boy who jumps in a pool and everyone starts panicking because they're You're now black. in a pool with a, a little black boy mm-hmm. and starts getting out and jumping out and yeah that, that was really sad but also a really good way to paint a picture of what things were like yeah it, it humanizes mm-hmm. the situation i mean we hear martin luther king and jr and all these um, other people that were involved in it but to hear someone who's alive right now mm-hmm. who's not that old no. either um, talk about in his own lifetime, these are the things that he experienced. Um, and I don't know if it was in this documentary or if I saw another special about him somewhere else because I'm completely <laughs> obsessed with everything that he's done. Um, but he talks about how <clears throat> as being a black lawyer in Alabama specifically, mm-hmm. um, there was times where he went into court and the judge immediately assumed he was the criminal yeah and he would the judge on multiple occasions would tell him like you need to wait outside for your lawyer Mm -hmm. in which he'd be like i I am am the lawyer lawyer. (laughs) um so i mean in that instance that already proves that the judges in those situations already have some type of bias Mm -hmm. to assume that this black guy coming in is going to be the criminal and doesn't even question it that it could be the lawyer I feel like already that's that's the start of the issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know what case that was, but I'm sure, <laughs> you know, he's helping someone that was 
potentially wrongfully convicted or, um, you know, living in poverty, like I said, he, he's helping cases of, um, people that have experienced injustices and inequalities. I also think, cause you just said this and I don't think that this has anything to do with this documentary mm-hmm. specifically, but whether or not he was defending someone who was wrongfully convicted or someone who actually convicted the crime, mm-hmm. um, they still deserve due process, mm-hmm. right? And like, they still deserve to fairness. like, they still deserve fairness. So whether or not they did it, you still deserve some sort of humanity yeah. and, and to be treated as such. So I think it does say a lot when you're walking in and automatically you're seen as a criminal because that's going to play into how you're tried how you're sentenced, like mm-hmm. what, how you're treated inside, like all of these things. So I, I just think that like, yeah, you need to, we need to stop seeing people who are in jails as simply criminals mm-hmm. and more of humans. Like, yes, they've obviously com- committed a really awful crime Yeah, and they should be in there to pay for their crime, but right. that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're not a human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also not every crime is this horrible crime. I mean, We'll go into some cases here where stealing a backpack was a terrible crime. Um, Or marijuana that is now legal. Exactly. So that leads me to number two on our list, which is Time, the Khalif Browder story. Mm -hmm. So this is one that we will definitely have to do an episode on. Um, This is a miniseries documentary that recounts the story of Khalif Browder, a Bronx high school student who was imprisoned for three years two of them in solitary confinement on Rikers Island without even being convicted of a crime. Mm -hmm. He was accused at 16 of stealing a backpack and his family was unable to afford his bail set at $3,000. So this has multiple issues involved in it. Uh, We have the issue with bail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That um, I know we will also go over eventually in an episode, Um, but also the issue of solitary confinement, especially with a child. Uh, And then finally, the issue of harsh punishments against people of color. Um, And in this situation, he wasn't even necessarily being punished because he was never convicted. With the trauma that he endured from his imprisonment and solitary confinement, Browder was consumed with depression and ultimately died by suicide. So it's a really tragic series of events where he's accused of stealing a backpack and it somehow leads to being in solitary confinement without a conviction. At Rikers, no less. At, oh, yeah, which is a terrible prison. Um, and then it ultimately leads to his death. And he was really young when all of this happened, too, right? He was 16. He was a teenager. Yeah. He was really young. They put him in Rikers, which is maximum security prison, mm-hmm. put him in solitary confinement for, for two I years. Say it was, yeah. The documentary really is like a whirlwind of emotions because it takes you through like the very beginning mm-hmm. and it tells you the story and tells you, you know, how his time in prison was, everything about the solitary confinement, how it affected him mentally. And then he's freed from prison and it's like this uplifting moment and he's doing like activism and going mm-hmm. on like morning shows and like news outlets and stuff telling his story and then yeah. at the end you're hit with like this like tragic news that he ended up taking his life and it was so it was i think the film was done in such a really like in a good way mm-hmm. because you know even though you're 
you're like kind of like on this high about oh my god like yes the justice system worked right kind of you know like he's out he's going to be able to make a life for himself it doesn't end there and that's something that a lot of people don't remember is Mm -hmm. like you hear of these people who have been exonerated but then you kind of lose touch with what's going on in their lives and a lot of them do have a really hard time yeah kind of going back into society, mm-hmm. finding a job, staying out of trouble. And, you know, and this was a perfect example of a young man who kind of had everything going for him when mm-hmm. he got out. Mm-hmm. And then just how everything that happened kind of consumed him. Yeah. It was really it was a big sad. effect on him. And we do forget that. We do forget how difficult it is for someone to assimilate back after being in prison or the trauma that they did, um, go through while they were in prison we don't Mm -hmm. know you know there's rape in prison Mm -hmm. there's fighting for your life constantly being scared that Mm -hmm. someone's going to beat you up or whatever the case is it it takes a mental toll on anybody i can imagine but and especially him as a teenager yeah and you just don't have the resources which i think should be something that you're provided you should be provided resources if you've spent time in prison Mm -hmm. for a crime you didn't commit like i feel like they should require not just financial compensation, which they're doing, mm-hmm. but mental health help mm-hmm. resources, right? Because, I mean, that's that's what ends up kind of affecting most people who end yeah. up leaving jail. And yeah, man, it's sad. So watch this, that This one. one's really sad. I know. So be warned. But Wait. it's really good and it's really important for mm-hmm. us to see what can happen. He wasn't even... He hadn't he wasn't actually even convicted. Been convicted. <laughs> he was just waiting. Mm-hmm. But today, in today's time, with GoFundMe, I don't think that he would would have been in jail that long, right? Um, it would depend on his network of people. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. thousands and thousands of GoFundMe's that are for good reasons, but if the right person doesn't share it or you yeah. know doesn't gain I mean, attention, that's kind of like the good thing of social media. That's mm-hmm. like the positive of social media now nowadays, right? Where you can just like start tagging a bunch of celebrities or yeah. famous people. Easier to, to bring awareness. Attention. Yeah. So number three on our list is the Central Park Five. Also to add to this story to watch is the miniseries When They See Us on Netflix, uh, which is extremely well made. It's very frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. The miniseries and the documentary. Um, but the Central Park Five is about a jogger who was brutally assaulted in Central Park. Uh, during a night where there were multiple assaults, police had their eyes on black and Hispanic teens who were out on the streets that night. The documentary covers the arrests, the faulty interrogations, the relentless law enforcement and DA who would do whatever it took to charge these teens, the trials, convictions, and ultimately what led to the realization that they were wrongfully convicted. With the mini, so I had already seen the documentary mm-hmm. before I saw the mini series. When they see us, watch both of them though. Um, so I had already known the story. However, when they see us, kind of portrays it so well. Um, I so my husband and I watched it the day that it was released. I was mm-hmm. like, "We have to watch it. You're gonna watch it with me. I don't care if you don't want to watch it. We're <laughs> gonna do this." And he he's not into true crime at all whatsoever. Um, but the first episode, he's like, "We have to finish this whole series. <laughs> like, we wanted to finish it that night." Um, but it was extremely frustrating. Every single step of the way was so uh, enraging. Um, 
We would watch an episode of When They See Us and then we would go take a shower together, my husband and I, and just like decompress and like talk about the episode and what happened and how this can happen in, you know, in our country. How can this happen in our criminal justice system? How did these teens get not only accused, but during the interrogations, Mm -hmm. like how did we get to where we are? It's kind of crazy because... It should have never gotten to the point that it got. Yeah. And as like rational human beings watching what's happening, you would think like someone has to realize that what is going on is not making any sense. It's not adding up. Uh Like it's, yeah, it's really difficult to understand how the people who have so much power over these children, Mm because they were children, Mm -hmm. um, are just so caught up in trying to make an arrest or Mm -hmm. in trying to get people convicted put in jail that they're not realizing that all of these things that they're doing is just not it's not right and you would think that they're wanting to find the truth that they're wanting to find justice for the victim but Mm -hmm. none of it is actually leading to that yeah everything was so forced um it's crazy looking back now and with this case in particular a lot of high profile people had their opinions on it. I don't know if you remember. A certain president of ours? A certain president mm-hmm. had said that I think it was he would give money. I or, mean, he literally took out a full ad in yeah. one of the newspapers. Uh, which he has no business talking about anything. Like, get out of here. Uh, so, which we know now, I mean, the teens were wrongfully convicted. Um, and there was someone else who had actually done it and who had actually assaulted multiple mm-hmm. people. Um, however, somehow law enforcement just didn't connect those because they didn't want to. I don't know how that happened. Um, but this guy, you know, this other guy had admitted to it. And and there was like no connection between a lot of the kids who were Some of the kids had never met yeah, before that. Yeah, they had that. never met each other. And somehow they had committed this crime together. Yeah. A it lot of them... just met for the first time while in the jail cell. Yeah. How crazy is that? I don't know. This story just rocks my world. Every single time I Mm -hmm. think about it, I get so mad. And the sad thing is that, so one of them had gotten out before all the Mm -hmm. other ones. And his time in prison affected the trajectory of his life because eventually without being able to get a job, Mm -hmm. you know, he had this conviction under his belt, this felony, he wasn't able to make money. Um, he ended up having to go yeah. to crime in order to be able to make a living, which ended him, you know, he was back in jail mm-hmm. because of it. And so had none of this have ever happened to him, his life wouldn't have taken that turn. Right. And so it just goes to show again, like we said earlier, how much it affects their life mm-hmm. coming out of it. And one of the guys was in Riker Island as well. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one to watch too, his time. So with that one, watch both of it, the documentary and the miniseries on Netflix um, to have a better understanding of that case because yeah. that one is crazy. And that's one that you're going to see on all the lists, you know, if you're ever kind of talking or even just like talking to people who might mm-hmm. be into the, the subject, like mm-hmm. Central Park 5 is a classic there. case of yeah. wrongful conviction mm-hmm. and how faulty our criminal justice system can mm-hmm. be. Number four on our list is 13th. This documentary is so important to watch to understand the history of race and the criminal justice system in the United States. The film's title refers to the 13th Amendment, uh, which 
The 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. This documentary explores how mass incarceration has become the modern-day extension of slavery. This one's a hard hitter. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in this one. There's a lot that they unload on you, and there's a lot to learn. Um, But I think it's one of the most eye-opening documentaries when it comes to the mass incarceration of people of color and how um, racism has affected the criminal justice system. Yeah. I think this is probably one of the first, if you're in, if you want to learn more about social justice or injustices and again, like how we ended up where we are today, Mm -hmm. 13th is a really good place to start because it does give you a historical like overview as to how laws are shaped, mm-hmm. how certain people are more affected by those laws than others, mass incarceration, I mean, like the prison industrial complex, how we're making money off of having people in jail. So all are in prison. All of these things really do shape the America that we're seeing today. And yeah. by extent, all of the documentaries that we're, we're speaking about. Mm-hmm. Number five on our list is Roll Red Roll. This is one that I wish I would have included in my rape culture episode, so I'm glad we decided to add this to the list. Um, It's definitely a must-watch. Roll Red Roll uncovers the deep-seated and social media-fueled boys-will-be-boys culture at the root of high school sexual assault in America. It takes a look at a preseason football party in a small town in Ohio where a heinous crime took place the assault of a teenage girl by members of the beloved high school football team. The documentary focuses on the collusion of teen bystanders, teachers, parents, and coaches to protect the assailants and discredit the victim. It's the ultimate example of ingrained rape culture in society. This one is also an extremely frustrating one. Okay, so I will be doing the last five. Um, Number six is a documentary by the name of She's Beautiful When She's Angry. I found this on YouTube. I I think you could also buy it or like rent it on Amazon Prime, but they do have the free version on just YouTube, so Mm -hmm. you can look it up there. The documentary tells the history of the outrageous and often brilliant women who founded the modern women's movement from 1966 to 1971. Uh, The documentary takes you from the founding of NOW, which is the National Organization for Women, with ladies in hats and gloves, to the emergence of the more radical factions of women's liberation. The film does not shy away from the controversies over race, sexual preference, and leadership that arose in the women's movement. And the story still resonates today for women who are facing new challenges around reproductive rights, sexual violence, and um, it shows present-day activists creating their generation's own version of feminism. Okay. This one, it's a little, it's obviously a little different to the ones that we've shared Mm -hmm. already, but it was when I watched it, (laughs) I cried. I cried in a lot of it, but they were like happy tears. In a lot of senses, we're still fighting. We talked about forced hysterectomies, the allegations that just came out in, um, about the ICE detention centers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this election really does have a lot at stake when it comes to women's rights, yeah. um, as far as like birth control and abortion and all of the things that are at stake. So we really are still fighting the fight, but it was really beautiful to watch how these like 
normal women who had kind of been trained by society and by their families that once they graduated from college or high school, like their life was just to be a wife, a mother, mm-hmm. a homemaker, mm-hmm. um, and kind of like this like light bulb moment, moment that went off in their head as they're watching black women fight for civil rights mm-hmm. and then thinking like, wait, you know, what's going on here? There is more to fight. Like, mm-hmm. yes, they're fighting for civil rights, but there's also like a more overarching thing where we need to fight for women in general. Mm-hmm. And it does go into what... The internal struggle was, which was you have white women fighting for feminism, but you also have lesbian women, you have women of color and how those intersectionalities are all very different. And mm-hmm. it, women's rights looks completely different for each one of those separate categories yeah. and trying to find a way to come together to fight for them as a unit, mm-hmm. not as separate pieces. But so that was really, really cool. It's very important and it's very like moving, educational, and like I said, inspiring because Mm -hmm. you kind of finish watching that documentary and you're like, okay, what can I do? Because there's still so much left to do. Right. So that one was, uh, like I said, it's called She's Beautiful When She's Angry, which is something that I have been, since I watched this documentary, have been trying to figure out where I can get that tattooed because that quote, when I read it, I was like, what does that even like mean? Mm -hmm. And obviously this can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But to me, when I read it, she's beautiful when she's angry is really just kind of like a call to action almost that when you're the most upset, when you're the most frustrated, Mm -hmm. when things don't seem to be going your way and obviously like in everything, but specifically when it comes to social justice issues that are affecting us personally, Mm -hmm. that when we get angry, something beautiful happens because we're, we then take action. Right. And so watching this documentary, I'm like, yeah, those women were so, so angry, but because of them, we are where we are today, where women have all of these rights, they're independent and all of these things, but we still have reason to be angry. Mm -hmm. And so there's still a lot to be done that will be beautiful one day to generations to come. So I just thought that was like really like inspiring. Um, and in kind of this category, category, I guess you could say, we also talked about the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson, mm-hmm. which you can find on Netflix. And this documentary chronicles the life of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, who were prominent figures in the gay liberation and transgender rights movement in New York City from the 60s to the 90s. The film centers on Victoria Cruz's investigation into Marsha P. Johnson's death in 1992, which was initially ruled a suicide by police, despite there being very suspicious circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, so there's, there's a podcast we talked about earlier in one of the episodes that covers what, um, what the crime in the transgender community looks like Mm -hmm. and how it's disproportionately affected and how it's just not given that much attention when it's a transgender life that's lost so this again like this is something that happened in 1992 we're in 2020 and we're still fighting over this is still happening so i we we did think that it was important to include this and along those same lines, the Times of Harvey Milk, which is on oh yeah Prime, but also on HBO Max, this was really important, I guess, in all of this 
kind of topics because Harvey Milk was an outspoken human rights activist and one of the first openly gay U.S. politicians elected to public office. And he was assassinated in 1978, but his story continues to inspire the disenfranchised people around the world today. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool look into what what the Castro was like in in the 1970s. And he was like a true grassroots movement type of like he was going door to door trying to get people to listen to what he was saying and Mm -hmm. and what he was fighting for so that was really cool he had a mission yeah he had a mission and i mean he made it into public office but unfortunately was was assassinated um in 1978 but it is a really really interesting like if you were to watch all three of those they kind of overlap Mm -hmm. they have a lot of similar undertones undertones yeah so I really like those. These are kind of the ones I enjoy watching. Yeah. So I the, do recommend those. The Harvey Milk one too, if you're not into documentaries for some odd reason, <laughs> uh, there's an actual movie made. I think it's called Milk. Milk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That one's a good one to watch too. Sean Penn did like an incredible job at portraying Harvey Milk. So if you watch the documentary and then want to watch the movie, mm-hmm. I mean, it's they they did such a good job and he did such a good job at playing him. Um number 7 on the list is Paradise Lost and I kind of feel bad that I get to be the one that goes over this because this is probably <laughs> on like top 1 lists of Sandy's documentaries. So. I am absolutely obsessed with the story and I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in the first episode that I wanted this one to be my first episode <laughs> and then I went down a rabbit hole and that's how I ended up with the Fairbanks 4 but this is like I feel like this story along with the Central Park 5 these two mm-hmm. started me on the path of being obsessed with wrongful convictions. Yeah. So Paradise Lost can be found on HBO. Um, Then the film documents the events following the arrest of Miss Kelly, Eccles, and Baldwin for the murders of Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch in what is now known as the West Memphis 3 case, which again, like West Memphis 3, Central Park 5 Mm -hmm. are two of the most classic wrongful conviction stories out there. The case itself was built on a shoddy confession in community bias and includes allegations of Satanism, sexual abuse, and mutilation. And to this day, it inspires fierce debate and accusations of guilt while the facts and evidence remain contested. So in 2011, after almost two decades, the West Memphis Three agreed to an Alfred plea, which allowed them to proclaim their innocence while admitting that the prosecution had enough evidence to convict them and they were released from prison. I absolutely hate that Alfred plea deal. Yeah. Bright spot, I guess, is that in situations like this where technically if they went to trial again Mm -hmm. and they'd have no chance of getting out, at least in this, at least you're out. But yes, it definitely affects the rest of your life in Mm -hmm. ways that, I mean, being exonerated kind of doesn't. So, right. It's a really good story. I do like the kind of like undertones of like Satanism and yeah. what it was like to live in, in a time of satanic panic. There is a viewer discretion for yeah. this documentary though. The beginning is pretty hard. I wasn't ready for that. I was just like, this sounds cool. And I played it in the first like two minutes. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, this is a lot. Yeah. So viewer discretion, if you're not into 
um, gory, gory crime gory. scenes. Yeah. Don't watch it, um, but watch it. Okay, so number eight is Murder to Mercy, the Centoya Brown story. This is also on Netflix. This documentary covers Centoya Brown's really long road from being a teenager who was being sex trafficked by mm-hmm. her then boyfriend slash pimp um, to being tried in court as an adult and then her road becoming a woman and then being freed from prison. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2004, Johnny Allen, a 43-year-old real estate agent from Nashville, picked her up and agreed to pay her $150 for sex. At the age of 16, fearing Allen was pulling a gun on her, uh, Centoya Brown shot and killed um, Allen, claiming mm-hmm. that she had acted in self-defense. And again, she had been forced into prostitution by a man called Cutthroat, who happened to be her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And celebrities and advocates argued that life in prison was too harsh uh, a punishment for someone who committed a crime as a minor and under the conditions that she had been experiencing. She was released from prison and granted clemency in 2019. But this documentary was really interesting because they bring in mental health experts Mm -hmm. who, I mean, the interviews that they conduct are so interesting because they're asking her. So the one that really stuck out to me was the pictures. So they show her pictures and they're like, okay, like, tell me the backstory of this, Mm -hmm. like why they're there, what they're doing, like whatever. And they like showed her a picture of a little girl with like a doll or something. And then there's another little girl like laying on the ground. Mm -hmm. And her response to that was like, oh, that girl killed that girl because she like took her money or something like that. Something crazy. And you see the switch in her head go off where she goes from being a 16-year-old child Mm -hmm. to being a 16-year-old who has gone through a lot of things Mm -hmm. because she starts saying, she starts cursing, she starts getting very um, aggressive in the depiction of the the images. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is related to what she's experienced. So she really is not only living in a state of heightened fear Mm -hmm. and paranoia, but everything that she has gone through with her family is it's just crazy you mm-hmm. know they go into genetics and how genetics played a huge oh, part yeah. in in the person that she had become and it was so sad because at one point when they're trying to argue on her behalf they have like a scientist like a geneticist i think come in and explain how Centoya had fetal alcohol, alcohol syndrome, syndrome. And how that's affected her. And they have, they're like saying, you know, she doesn't have the capacity that she should have. She's not intelligent. She's not this. She's not that. And she just has to sit there and kind of just take it, Mm -hmm. you know, like, man, like maybe it, because I could just imagine having to sit there and someone tell me like, you like genetically, biologically, you are not intelligent. Mm -hmm. You are not this. You will never be this, this or that. Right. And then have to just be like, okay, I guess I'm just not ever going to be good enough or there's always something's wrong with me and I can't change it because it's biological Mm -hmm. um but she did really she ended up excelling in -hmm. prison she got a degree she went to college she you know she had a bunch of people who spoke on her behalf about how much she had changed Mm -hmm. since being that 16 year old girl she spent 13 years in prison I think it was a while it was a really long time. This is the one that Kim Kardashian got involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so this was really interesting. It was really sad, obviously, to see. But also, her life is not that different from so many other girls' life who are kind of in similar situations. Obviously, she ended up in prison and having to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like fight for her freedom. But her story, her family's story doesn't seem like it's so exceptionally rare that there aren't other people like her out there just trying to survive. Yeah, there's it's things like that are currently happening today. Even Um, there's an open case right now, and I can't remember the name of the girl, but whenever I do remember, I'll say it um, where she is going through trials, going to be convicted or being charged with murder um, because and she's a teenager, um, her boyfriend who's groomed her into um, having sex with other men for money and they set up something where she lured a guy in um, to have sex with her and they robbed him, I think, and then the guy shot him and killed him. Um, So now her and the pimp are being charged with murder and so now people are fighting for her freedom basically. Um, but if you're interested in these types of cases, you should Google, um, commercial sexual exploitation of children, mm-hmm. CSEC for short. Mm-hmm. And that goes into, um, a lot of information on how children are essentially groomed into becoming sex workers. Um, but underage they're teenagers or even younger sometimes um and then the you can find the psychology that goes behind um how these men pick them pick them how they train them and then how they use them um so with and sometimes those children are then picked up by police and charged for prostitution. Yeah. Um, so now that there's this name, CSEC, I think there's a bigger push to try to mm-hmm. understand that they're not necessarily committing a crime, they're being forced to or they're, they've been taught yeah. to or whatever the case is. So definitely Google that. Um, I can't go into any details, but I can say that in my line of work, I've had children under my caseload that mm-hmm. were C-sec children um, and the trauma that they have mm-hmm. and that they will live with for the rest of their lives is significant. Yeah. And I wish I had written down this quote, but one of the guys who was on the team helping Centoya Brown She's now Centoya Brown Long because she got married while she was in prison. But one of the guys that was on her team, he says something about how when these types of cases come up with these types of children in the circumstances that they're in, it's not so black and white when Mm -hmm. it comes to the sentencing because we really do need to take a larger look at their life, what was going on in their life, what they were experiencing, and what led them to do what what they did you Mm -hmm. know like she genuinely was fearful of her life Mm -hmm. and maybe he wasn't reaching over to grab a gun to shoot her but all of the things that she's experienced up to that point led her to view the world in such a like negative terrifying scary place for her to be in yeah that it is almost justified in her brain Mm -hmm. that like oh my god it's kind of me or him I have to defend myself so he made a really good point about when we're sentencing these children because they really are children yeah we need to take a bigger look at what what their life has been like up to this point so number nine comes in as a two-parter the first part is the documentary called let it fall 
You can find that on Netflix. And the documentary chronicles the simmering tension and broken trust between L.A.'s black community and police in the decade before the Rodney King riots. It is a deep examination, and this is going to be kind of long, but I think it was really important to give like a good Mm -hmm. overview of what this was because this is like one of those documentaries that also deserves and requires a huge trigger warning because the images in the documentary are images that come from news footage, people who are out on the streets recording everything, Mm -hmm. and it's so graphic. And for someone who loves gore and loves this kind of documentary i had to pause i had to pause Mm -hmm. this and watch this in sections because there were parts of it that i could not i just couldn't keep watching so i guess let's start there but the documentary is a deep examination of a tumultuous decade in the city of la starting with the death of james mincy jr who was arrested by police and tied two weeks later due to neck injuries that prevented his brain from receiving adequate oxygen supply Sounds familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Again, with the stories happening from decades ago mm-hmm. and being relevant today. Yeah. Um, and continuing through the 1984 Summer Olympics, the rise of street gangs, the crack epidemic, the death of Karen Toshiam, who was a victim of a gang-related drive-by in South Central L.A. It covers Operation Hammer, which was a large-scale attempt to crack down on gang violence in L.A., The raid at 39th and Dalton, which was a raid that resulted from Operation Hammer, in which um, it was a brutal attack of 37 people who were beaten by police. The raid ended up turning up six ounces of pot and less than an ounce of cocaine. Great. And it was brutal. Like, I read that there was, um, it was like a mom and her baby sitting outside of this, like, apartment building. And then, like, they hit both the baby and the mom. The baby ends up like 30 minutes without oxygen. I mean, it was just awful. Mm -hmm. Um, The actual beating of Rodney King, the death of Latasha Harlins, which is, yeah, that's a good one. Um, The trial of Lawrence Powell, Timothy Wind, Theodore Briseño, and Stacey Kuhn in the Rodney King beating, and culminating with the unrest that that ensued after their acquittal. And it also chronicles the events at the Simi Valley Courthouse, the withdrawal of police officers at 71st and Normandy, the rioting of Florence and Normandy, the attack and rescue of, and I'm sorry if I say this wrong, but it's, it looks, it's spelled Choi Say Choi, Larry Tar- Tarvin, and Reginald Denny, the spread of violence and arson throughout the city, the looting in Koreatown, the arming of Korean merchants, the Jesus. death of Jay Song Eddie Lee, the deployment of the Seventh Infantry Division, which had like is unheard of that this mm-hmm. would happen in a city in in the United States, the charging of Damian Football mm-hmm. Williams, Henry Kiki Watson, Antoine Twan Miller, and Gary Williams for the beating of Reginald Dunny. This is all covered in this documentary, (laughs) Mm -hmm. along with extensive archival footage. The story is told through firsthand accounts of the events. Among those interviewed are police officers, city officials, victims of police violence, citizen rescuers. So like when the riots and on Florence and Normandy were happening, there was it was mass chaos in a way that we had all heard about the riots in L.A. Mm -hmm. and we've all seen obviously footage of like the Rodney King beating 
But to see what LA looked like at this time was shocking. Yeah. And I just, I was sitting there and I'm like, what, why is no one doing anything? Yeah. And it was because they had pulled all of the police departments, fire departments, anyone who could have done something were pulled out of that area mm-hmm. because their lives were at risk. So it was literally like the purge chaos. Mm-hmm. in LA for like five days. Um, as well as people who actually perpetrated the violence and witnesses and family members of the some of the deceased. So huge, huge trigger warning. If you don't want to see massive acts of violence, mm-hmm. a lot of blood, I mean, people just laying on the floor, this might not be for you, but it does such a good job of showcasing what it was like in that decade in yeah. L.A., which we like now a, think of like, oh, Hollywood, movie stars, yeah. all of these things. But like, no, L.A. has such a deep, deep history of not just racism, but violence, police brutality. I mean, mm-hmm. so many things that are still happening today. Yeah, this documentary is definitely an unloading of so much information um, that needs to be known. And this is only one county, too, that it's covering. Mm-hmm. And I know I keep saying that you know, stories from the decades before are prevalent today, but also this was prevalent decades before even this documentary um, covers like the Zoot Suit riots Mm -hmm. also happened in LA. And that was a huge issue. If you don't know about that, that's definitely something that you should research. Yeah. Um, I know it's covered in some people's history classes, but I've talked to other people about it and not everyone has learned about it. I don't think I learned about it in elementary school i learned about it in college but i was taking classes about classes Mm -hmm. so if i hadn't been taking those kinds of classes i don't think i ever would have well i don't think i would have known the history of it i knew what the zoot suits were just from like my family and the Mm -hmm. bachucos and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but i i would have never known that there was this kind of like longer history behind it and it wasn't just this like cool moment or whatever like right. fashionable moment for yeah mexican americans along with this one or like the part two for this is oj made in america you can rent it or buy it on prime and it's also available on espn plus for those of you who have it ask your husbands if you're not into sports they probably have it um this is um a defining cultural tale of modern america a saga of race, celebrity, media, violence, and the criminal justice system. Throughout the documentary, O.J. Simpson's life, the football success, television career, relationship with Nicole Brown, the domestic abuse, the Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman murder, the trial, all of these things run parallel to the larger narrative of the city of Los Angeles, which serves as a host to mounting racial tensions and a volatile relationship between the city's police department and the African-American community. Footage from the Watts riots was used as well as the entire Rodney King video, which most news outlets and documentary only use in parts. Both of these events are used to set up and explain what happened during the Simpson murder trial. So again, a lot of us who are into true crime know everything there is to know about the O.J. Simpson trial, Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even really like talking about it because it's been it's been done. Like you can't really say it yeah. in a different way. This documentary did that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so well done. It was so informative in the same way that Let It Fall was informative mm-hmm. in painting a broader picture and explaining why 
the O.J. Simpson trial went the way that it did and ended the way that it did. Um, And it was like a very new way of viewing the trial itself. So like they they talk about how these mounting racial tensions in the African-American community kind of blinded a lot of people to the facts and people were advocating and people were like out there supporting oj simpson Mm -hmm. simply based on the fact and people admit this that they knew he had done it but it was almost like you owe you as in society the white community Mm -hmm. you owe us so much for everything that you've done the least you can do is kind of give us our hero because oj simpson was Mm. in a lot of uh, in african-american communities eyes a hero i mean he had succeeded he was accepted within the white community in a Mm -hmm. way that a lot of african-americans have never been accepted and so for them it was like even if he did it we don't care like you guys owe us so much so like we want him to be let free so that was kind of an interesting perspective because i hadn't thought of it that way i was Mm -hmm. like to me it was so clear he had done this yeah he deserves to be in prison but i wasn't living in that time and so i didn't realize that there were so many other things intertwined in this trial that for a lot of people it it really didn't matter whether he had or hadn't done it what mattered Mm -hmm. was what they were experiencing in their own lives yeah that's crazy that's heavy it's heavy and the other interesting thing too is they they talk about so like oj simpson growing up and how he really just didn't want to associate as being black like he Mm. almost just didn't talk about it. he didn't want to talk about how he was black like if anybody ever brought it up he was like i don't see color i don't blah 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 and and so like that's kind of how he was able to fit in with a lot of the people that he was in, in the circles with because in at the level that he was at, he really was kind of the only, one of the only African Americans to have succeeded in the way that he had mm-hmm. and to be put on commercials for Hertz and stuff like that. No African American person had, had been able to do something like that. And so they, they touch on how his view of race also affected him personally. So that was really interesting mm-hmm. because we now have all of these people who are black and proud and wanting to be like this catalyst of change yeah he just wasn't one of those people and yet the african-american community was like fighting for him pushing Mm -hmm. for him so it was a really cool and interesting way that they set all of that up so i highly highly recommend this one um also graphic not as graphic as oh actually (laughs) it is kind of graphic because they show the crime photos so also graphic warning but it's not as graphic, I would say, as Let It Fall. That yeah. was kind of insane. A lot. Yeah. Have you read the book, If I Did It? Yeah. That <laughs> is just crazy, right? <laughs> like, that's just crazy. He that's literally, so- like, step by step is, uh, step by step is telling us how he did it. Yeah. And then, and, oh, but it's only just theoretical. It's just a dream. Yeah. I love, so essentially, I don't think he was able to make any profit out of it. Um, no. I think everything went to the, the family. The family, um, and so they were able to take control of mm-hmm. that book, thankfully. Um, but what I love so much is that 
for the cover, how they decided to make it look, mm-hmm. it looks like it says, I did it. Yeah. The if they put it's, really small yeah. into like the eye or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I think that just kind of goes to show. But that also like, can you imagine being the families of the victims having to mm-hmm. fight to buy the rights to the book so that he doesn't make a single cent out of basically confessing to having murdered these two people and mm-hmm. how he did it and why he did it and like all of these things. I mean, like that's just so hard. Yeah. But good on them for fighting for that because otherwise, you I mean, he would have been making profit off of that book and that book was so sensational. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. was out there buying it. You know, like I have it, you have oh, yeah. it. Like I, I'm not a huge reader. I like listening to things. Yeah. So that was probably one of the first books that I picked up. I have a lot of like crime books and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to read crime books. And then it's just like they're sitting in the uh, bookshelf that I picked up and I could not put down. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, I read it. It's hard to say that it was good, but it's interesting because here's his written out confession of what happened that night. And we can't do anything about it anyways. So the last on the list is kind of a random one, but it was so interesting that we thought it was like good to put on here. Um, this one's called Dream Slash Killer, so Dream Killer, and this is also on Netflix. And this tells the story of a father's journey to free his best friend and son, Ryan Ferguson, from a 40-year prison sentence for a brutal murder based on somebody else's dream. So yeah, crazy, crazy, right? It's exactly what it sounds like. Yes. (laughs) The cast of characters reveals the very best and the worst of the American judicial system from the questionable DA turned judge Kevin Crane to the high powered Chicago attorney Kathleen Zellner, Queen Zellner, who is um, basically her focus is on wrongful convictions as well. She was in Making a Murder. So she Mm. was the attorney for Stephen Avery. So she is a badass mm-hmm. lady i mean i love her um to the confused chuck arison who not only confesses to a murder based on a dream of his but then also charges that his former classmate and friend ryan was his co-conspirator what <laughs> and then to it also covers bill ferguson who uses his investigative skills and relentless creativity to give his son a shot at freedom so this is exactly what it sounds like. This is not a story. This is not a movie that was made up for our viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. This is literally a a child, a teenager um, guy who wakes up one day, has this dream that he had murdered. So the victim was, uh, I think he was a TV host. He was like a news anchor. Oh, shoot. Um, yeah, he was I like a news anchor, that. a sports anchor for a local like TV who was murdered on Halloween and he wakes up one day and is like, I think I murdered that guy. <laughs> like, and I think it was like a year or two later. Yeah. It, it was like even like that while. day he wakes up the next day after Halloween, hella drunk. And is like, yeah, did I do something I shouldn't have done? Like, <laughs> no, this is like a year or two later. I want to say it was two years wakes up from having the stream. And is like, I need to unload this on someone. So let me call the cops. And so he calls the cops and literally tells them, like, yeah, I have something to say about that that guy that was killed on Halloween a couple years ago. I think it was a cold case, too. At the yeah, time. it was they a cold had, case like, at no that point. Like, there was no leads. There was no evidence. There was nothing to go off of. And he just calls up the 911 is like, 
yeah, so I need to confess. I think he doesn't even say he needs to confess. He's just like, I just have something to say. I had a dream. I think I killed this guy. And then they bring him in for questioning. Nothing is adding up because he doesn't have details. He doesn't Mm -hmm. remember anything. He just says all of this is based on his dream where he thinks he murdered this guy because he has like images of something Mm -hmm. that he then thinks is like, oh, I think I killed him. So he's telling them all of this. And they're like, at that point, based on, I think, like the information that they had, I think the cops had kind of determined it was probably like a two person deal. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of pushing him to say who else was involved. And out of nowhere, he's like, oh, yeah, it was I was with my friend Ryan Ferguson, who at that time, it's not they weren't even really close. Mm -hmm. He was just like a classmate of his. And so this poor guy, this isn't funny. Like, it's not funny, but it's just bizarre. This poor guy, Ryan Ferguson, who was just living his life, ends up getting pulled into this whole ordeal Mm -hmm. where he's like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I have no idea what he's talking about. I had nothing to do with this. Like, no. Anyways, like I said, there's no evidence. There's nothing actually tying either one of them to the case other than his dream dream confession. They go to prison. Um, Chuck Erickson is still in prison fighting for for his freedom. (laughs) Like, you did this to yourself, dude. Come on. Um, Bill Ferguson, the dad, I mean, he was relentless. He would not stop fighting. He knew it was it wasn't his son, mm-hmm. and so he started doing like um, murder scene tours to anyone who would listen to show them like, look, it doesn't make sense. What yeah. he is saying is not adding up to what actually happened, what was actually found at the scene. Like, and so he's telling news reporters, he's telling literally anyone who would who would listen. Um, he had learned about Kathleen Zellner. Actually, vice versa. Kathleen Zellner heard the story of Ryan Ferguson's conviction or, yeah, conviction. And she said to herself, like, if they ever reach out to me, I'm going to take their case. Mm -hmm. The dad ends up reaching out on a whim, thinking, Mm -hmm. like, this will never happen. A week later, she was in the town discussing everything with him. And she talks about how a lot of what had what happened and the fact that his son ended up being freed probably would have never happened had he not fought so yeah. hard um so he really did have this like innate like investigative skill in him mm-hmm. so he the dad is actually still fighting for or advising on wrongful conviction cases Kathleen Zellner has worked extensively in wrongful conviction advocacy, represented Stephen Avery for making a murder. Chuck Erickson was up for parole in 2020, but his appeal was denied in July. They do plan on taking it to the Supreme Court of Missouri, and Kathleen said this about Erickson. She says, Charles is absolutely innocent. He was misled into thinking Ryan Ferguson was going to plead guilty and that certain witnesses would place him near the crime scene. He was young, vulnerable, and frightened. He deeply regrets his trial testimony, but he was trapped by the state. He deserves understanding, not condemnation. He should be free, not imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. The charade put on by the state needs to end. So it also dives into what we all kind of know about these forced confessions. Mm -hmm. 
And it's super clear that they're misleading him. Like, there's a part where they're like, okay, well, what did you hit him over the head with? And he's like, I can't remember. Yeah. And then they're like, well, just think of something. And he's like, I don't know, like a baseball bat. And he was like, no, not a baseball bat, like <laughs> something else. He's like, a bungee cord. And he's like, kind of like a bungee cord, but like, think of something that you'd get off of his yeah. clothing or whatever. And he's like, I don't know, a belt. He's like, yeah, a belt. Yeah. And so like in the whole interview was like that. Feeding where this, him everything. Yeah, they were feeding him everything. He had no idea. Um, a couple years after um, Erickson actually confessed, once Kathleen was involved, Erickson quote unquote confesses and says that he made all of the stuff about Ryan up um, and that he was the only one that had committed the crime. But it wasn't true. <laughs> He had just felt so bad yeah. that he had gotten Ryan involved in any of this that even though he knew he himself hadn't done it either, mm -hmm. he just wanted to try and help Ryan Ferguson out. So this one was really interesting. Um, Kevin Crane, who was the DA, DA at the time, ended up becoming a judge and is still a judge in Missouri, even though he was the one that was like misleading um, Ryan Ferguson. This is what drives me insane. Um, because all these like false confessions, I don't think, so the people that were interrogating them that like got the false confession out of them, I don't think they ever get like in trouble for that. Or at least I've mm. never heard that at all. No. So, the, so this one was really crazy too, because there was an actual witness of the crime. It was a 19 year old girl who mm -hmm. I think she was working, um, in that little plaza mm -hmm. and she saw the person who did it. And she went to police. Mm -hmm. She had two composite sketches drawn up. And based on those that composite sketch, the two guys who were involved in the crime, supposedly mm -hmm. Ryan and Erickson, looked nothing like the composite sketch. She told the cops, like, that's not who I saw. Like, yeah. that's not them. But she said that they intimidated her as well into saying that it was mm. them and that if she said anything otherwise, that she would somehow get into trouble. And it wasn't until until years later when the dad is doing his investigation yeah. and all of these things that she like she goes and takes one of like the crime scene tours with the dad and he's asking her all of these questions and she's like I told them from the first day, like it was not them. They look, he looked nothing like them, mm -hmm. but they scared me into thinking that if I said anything different, I would get into trouble or I, you know, I would be arrested for lying. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely not okay what they're doing. No, it, this obviously again, like no evidence. There's a witness saying it wasn't them mm -hmm. there. There was multiple people who they never spoke to that, did not that put those the two kids somewhere else or like the one Erickson who was the one who had the dream was like oh yeah like we were at this stoplight and then we ran into our other friend and we like talked and they didn't never interviewed him to make sure that that any of that was true mm -hmm. years later when they finally do reach out to him he was like yeah that never happened like I never saw them that Halloween night like yeah. they were not we were never in that area like I have no idea what he's talking about. And so to me, the the kind of like, all of it is crazy, but yeah. I just want to know like what led him to think and to be so convinced mm -hmm. based off of like this one dream that he had committed this crime, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember if they ever go into um, like if he was 
like a troubled person. Yeah, there was like psychologists that looked into. They didn't really him. go into it because the that. story really did revolve around Ryan Ferguson and his dad mm-hmm. and his story. And I tried looking up, like if anyone else, and they I couldn't find anything that really like dove into the psychology behind someone doing something like that mm-hmm. everything i read was just he just he had a dream he was yeah. convinced he had done it and then most of it focused on what happened once he got into that interrogation room and mm-hmm. the, the cops and the detectives and everything um so i couldn't find anything but i do think that that's something that's super interesting yeah and it reminds me of another case and i can't i don't remember the names but it was a husband who i it believe he had a history of like sleepwalking um oh and his wife ended up murdered oh and they um i think they charged him with the murder of his wife do you remember and they were fighting for him and i think he was kind of like i don't know if i did or if i didn't like you know but nothing kind of pointed directly at him but there was it was so kind of like in the air where like i mean maybe it could have been him maybe it couldn't have but that one was really interesting too it's not the same obviously because it wasn't just like a dream but it was someone who slept walk who woke up to find his murdered wife and then ended up being charged that's number 10 on our list um again like i said it's not necessary it doesn't fit in as well with like the other ones but it does showcase how this happens Uh you know it's still an injustice i think what the investigators did was a huge injustice Mm -hmm. and we see that in the majority of wrongful conviction cases Mm -hmm. um where there's a false confession well and with ferguson he didn't even confess to it it was someone else's confession but someone else roped him into it right a so-called friend can you imagine you're like what Mm-hmm. I haven't seen this guy in two years. And now all of a sudden I'm being charged for a crime that I supposedly committed with him. That dad, though, is the I know. star mm-hmm. of that documentary. He's he really a good is. storyteller mm-hmm. also. Um, he, oh, man. If I ever get wrongfully convicted <laughs> of something, y'all better be just like him. I know. <laughs> He's out there, like, giving stickers. Yeah. Was, yeah, no, he was knocking on doors. He, he was convinced. I love him, too, because... He kind of reminded me of Tim, not like of Tim, but like of what I would imagine Tim would be like if he was like older with a son that (laughs) happened to go through this because he talks about basketball. He uses basketball analogies and Mm -hmm. everything. And that's literally like Tim and I will get into like some (laughs) deep convos and then like he'll bring up some like basketball analogy and I'm like, dude, like we're having a deep (laughs) conversation. Like, don't tell me about some basketball analogy. But he he kind of did that a lot, too. And he just like, you know kept fighting because he wanted he's like i would play basketball with him every weekend or every day or whatever and i just want to be able to do that again so it's really heartwarming it's obviously really nice to know that he got out but poor erickson is still in prison fighting for the free for his own freedom so there's still more to this and hopefully maybe there'll be an end we'll have enough tape for you guys at some point but this really is like one of those like what is going on Mm mm-hmm how did this like how did this happen i think every single one of these documentaries that we talked about the whole time you're just like how is this happening yeah how is this our criminal justice system Mm -hmm. how are all of these people missing it yeah you know and Mm -hmm. i get that it's easier as an outsider looking in to be like what the heck are you guys doing but for so many people to get it wrong yeah so many times Mm -hmm. i don't understand 
Yeah. I don't either. I, I really don't. Like, yeah, it is kind of shock, shocking that it, in a lot of these, it looks so straightforward. Like, right. how are you not, how do you not see the error in all of this that's going on? Or how yeah. do you not see that the pieces just aren't lining up? Um, and then unfortunately, you know, it keeps going and a lot of people end up getting hurt by it. But I hope you guys enjoyed our top 10 yeah watch them let us know what you think when you do watch them if you have any other suggestions let us know we love documentaries it doesn't have to be social justice you know i love the true crime so any kind of documentary oh yeah i love documentaries in general but this was a really hard one for us to narrow Mm -hmm. down when we came into this we both had a list of like 20 Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and we're like how in the world are we going to make this down to 10 so this was tough um right so we missed a lot of really good ones. I will say there was a couple on there that probably should have been on the list, but that we wanted to keep off mm-hmm. because we plan on doing a deeper dive in those. Mm-hmm. And not that these don't deserve a deeper dive. A lot of them will, you know, like Khalif. Yeah, we're we'll cover all of these eventually. Yeah, we'll go into it. But there is a couple that are fairly recent that we just were like, well, we can hold off and we'll do an actual story and then maybe in a couple months do another list of documentaries for you guys that have since come up but this is a really really good place to start Mm -hmm. they're all very enjoyable they are all very educational yeah um like i said inspiring in some cases that's true makes you want to get out and do your own call to actions um i also have some bonus shows that we talked about that we wanted to Mm -hmm. throw in real quick um if you have netflix watch the Innocence Files mm-hmm. and the Confession Tapes. Mm-hmm. Those are both really good. Yeah. They both cover, um, well, the Innocence Files will cover wrongful convictions um, and how different issues within the criminal justice system got them to that point. And then the Confession Tapes, of course, is going through how people wrongfully yeah. confess, which again goes back to my frustration with the investigators. And I understand they're trying to do a job and I understand that some of them might think that this is the right way to do it, but for so many false confessions to exist and when you watch them do it, you're just like, how you can't, how are you doing? How is this okay mm-hmm. to be feeding this information? And then when they do get a false confession and someone's wrongfully convicted and nothing will happen to them. Yeah. Um, I'm still upset about that woman involved with the central park five, What's her name? The um, I don't. What, I don't think she was a DA, but she was like the one that was spearheading the like the team mm-hmm. who was out to find who had done this. And I mean, she really is kind of responsible for all of it. I could not stand her in the show, which kind of bummed me out because I really liked her in Desperate Housewives. And right. She was oh, in Desperate yeah. Housewives, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I saw her on the show, I was like, I can't look at you the same way. Like, I can't stand you. So it's Linda Fairstein. And to this day, even when When You See Us came out, um, she still mm-hmm. is like, no, they're guilty. I know they are. They're 100% guilty. Like, she will not give it up. And it's, it's those. Oh, yeah. And it's those type of people that shouldn't be in that position. Right. I can't believe she's still saying that they did it. And she like has some like books that she's published. And I I think once the miniseries came out on Netflix, like a lot of her shows got canceled. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of her tours 
for the book stuff and like public speaking stuff that she was going to do got canceled Good. because everyone was so mad at her yeah. and she was still like, nope, they did it. I didn't mm-hmm. do anything wrong. I also like, I, I would say that for me, what, what makes like one of my favorite, like when I say, oh yeah, like that's one of my favorites or that's one of the ones I find the most interesting is when there's some sort of like psychology that you just can't figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like trying it's like the trying to figure out what would cause someone to do say act whatever so like in the confession tapes um there is a father i think who was accused of killing his daughter or something like that and the whole time he's like no 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 like i didn't do this Mm -hmm. i didn't do it and he's like, he knows uh, he didn't do it. And then hours into the interrogation, he starts, you could see him breaking down like, yeah. mentally and being like, I don't know anymore. Like yeah. maybe I did it. And so it's like watching that happen is so interesting to me because we all think like we would never do a false confession or give a confidence false confession Mm -hmm. but you've got so many like these videos prove that literally anyone can Mm -hmm. walk into one of those interrogation rooms yeah be subjected to yelling abuse like verbal abuse emotional abuse i mean most like you're not you're hungry you've been there for 12 13 hours yeah and you know suddenly you're like i just want to get out i will say anything Mm -hmm. to just be able to leave and I mean, that's kind of how a false confession happens. But I love, I don't love, but I find it very, very interesting to see like the psych, the psychology part of all of that yeah. stuff. This is just like a bonus one for everyone, but um, it has nothing to do with social justice or injustice. But um, the Chris Watts documentary, an American. The one that just came out on Netflix. Door, I, I just watched that this morning. Listen, that- there is nothing I don't know about this story. Um, I really liked the documentary that just came out on yes. Netflix, but there was another documentary that came out on one of the like true crime channels. I don't know if it was Oxygen and Oxygen or ID Discovery, um, that I had already seen, and so I, that one had done a really good job of like painting the whole picture. So I knew mm-hmm. pretty much everything that had been covered. Mm-hmm. But every time this story comes up, again, the psychology behind a father who's capable of doing this, Mm -hmm. it just drives me crazy because I can't figure out how, how someone can do that. Mm -hmm. I really can't. So that one's really cool. I think the reason why that one's so like captivating too, is because Shanann did such a good job of documenting everything. Yeah. On social media and text messages. It literally paints such a good picture of everything that was going on in their life. Yeah. Um, so you don't you're not relying on like dramatizations or whatever the case is. This is one of those where you have so much mm-hmm. actual footage of everything that happened that it's just it's so good. Mm-hmm. I love it. I hate it, but I love it. I know. Yeah, I was watching that this morning before I came here. It is really. It's nice that it's the victim's voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not people telling us. Yeah what the victim went through it's it's in her own words it's her own videos Mm -hmm. it's her own text messages so it's nice to have that perspective where she gets the voice as opposed to him because he's been the one the whole time during the Mm -hmm. case he wanted the attention he was out like i just want them back yeah you know he was out there and what i find so interesting 
is that the body cam footage from the uh-huh. police, yeah. the, At neighbor the neighbor's house immediately yeah. is like, something's, something's wrong, wrong with him. He's never fidgety like this. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, that was so good. I, I know. Chills. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. So you guys. Now we're going to go binge watch documentaries. <laughs> I, I hope you guys do too, though. Um, like like we said, send in all of your um, favorite documentaries. Recommendations. Yep. I know this was a little bit of a different episode, but we're in quarantine. Everybody needs something to watch. So like, I feel like it's still just as useful. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, and it gives you a little of insight of what we're so interested in learning and talking about as well. So mm-hmm. it's good background. Um, since we'll be covering a lot of these stories anyway next week we will be back with a regular episode though yeah (laughs) Uh um so with that also i want to say real quick that we are gonna have bill proctor on our show eventually at some point at some point um if you have listened to episode seven of free ray gray Mm -hmm. um we covered his case where he's currently in prison claiming that he's wrongfully convicted we already went through the facts and the evidence because there is no evidence against yeah. him um so that's a pretty that's really sad but we we touched base on bill proctor who's taken the lead of um trying to get his conviction overturned um because he truly believes that he's wrongfully convicted and so him and his associates uh with seeking justice are doing their best um to get him out right now And so they offered to come on the show and answer any questions that we might have or that you as listeners might have as well. So listen to that episode if you haven't already and send in your questions um, so we can ask him on air. Um, You can email us at unjustlypodcast at gmail.com. You can DM us on Instagram, also under Unjustly Podcast and Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. And Josie podcast. <laughs> Send in those questions, um, comments, anything yeah. that you want us to bring up during that episode. And hopefully we'll be able to bring him in within the next couple months. I'm excited to have him on. He's a really good speaker and he's doing an am- amazing things mm-hmm. with Seeking Justice. So it'll be interesting to get um, his perspective on everything and, yeah. you know, other issues um, within the criminal justice system and wrongful convictions. Um, but we appreciate you guys so much thanks for continuing to listen and we hope to see you next week on wednesday yes (laughs) for our next episode (laughs) yes yes next episode yes thank you everyone we hope you enjoyed the documentary rundown um but we're excited to come back with new stories Mm -hmm. um so yeah see you guys wednesday bye bye